Welcome to The Read Along, a mini book club for your ears, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. I'm your host, Scott. I'm your other host, Anita. And join us on a journey through a good book, one, one chapter, chapter at, at a time. With PodPower, our sponsors are making it possible for us to amplify the voices of Albertans and Alberta podcasters. This episode, the Edmonton Community Foundation is helping us give a PodPower shout-out to Book Women, a podcast about editing, publishing, and writing Indigenous stories. Three Métis librarians representing nations from across the homeland aim to inspire Indigenous peoples to share their stories in whatever form that they enjoy. Guests include Indigenous storytellers from diverse mediums, such as podcasting, burlesque, books, comics, social media, films, music, and everything in between. You can listen and find out more right now at bookwomenpodcast.ca. Happy slightly belated Easter to those of you who Easter. <laughs> Happy post-Easter, everybody. Yeah, we uh, didn't give a shout out to that going into our previous episode because we were all excited about the new book. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Easter long weekend. Nita and I... Had a little week off. Yep. Took some time off to, A, look after our children, because our day home was closed for a little bit. And B, look after ourselves. Yes, because there was a span in between when the day home was not closed, and we were child-free for a couple days, and it was a lovely break. Uh, got to catch up on some stuff, play we played, some games. We played, we played some video games, we played some board games. Yeah. Things that, uh, it, it's difficult to do with two small children. Yes. Who are really demanding your attention or want to be involved with what you're doing. Or who will eat the game board pieces. Oh, both of those things, yes. <laughs> uh, because our, our son is old enough that he would want to be involved in the board game, but young enough that he would not comprehend most of the board games we have. It's true. And so he would mostly just be playing with stuff. And our daughter is a tiny baby who will put all of the pieces in her mouth. Correct. So, yeah, easier to do when they are in bed, but we have some longer board games that uh, kind of take an afternoon to play. Yes. So. Uh, or a day, depending on which game we play. Well, and you and I are really bad at uh, analysis paralysis, so neither of us take fast turns. Because <laughs> we're like, hmm, I could do this. I could play this card, but maybe if I did that, hmm. I got better as the game went on. Yeah, that's true. But still. At any rate, that was our last week. Hopefully you had a pretty good week too. Hopefully you had the time to uh, read the next chapter over the long weekend. Because that's what we're here to talk about today. That's right. So a uh, quick recap of our first chapter uh, where we are just kind of introduced to Nick and Johnny and the relationship which will form the crux of this novel. Yeah, a little bit of world building, a lot of character building. It was a good intro. Yeah. And uh, it was an intro that led us directly into Chapter 2 of Beneath the Rising by Premi Mohammed. Chapter 2, Inciting Incident. Yeah, this uh, definitely kicks <laughs> off the plot, whereas the previous chapter was very much about uh, settling us into our two protagonists. This one is uh, getting the kicking the can. Yep. Off we go. Getting things going here. Um, Nick actually starts the next day spotting Johnny in the Globe and Mail. 
It's a Canadian newspaper. Yes. For those of you who are unfamiliar or who are not in Canada. Apparently, she's just put out a cure for Alzheimer's, which she designed herself, you know, in her spare time. <laughs> uh, and we get a little bit more backstory for Johnny, too. She already cured HIV, apparently, back in 1995, which is when she would have been 10 years old. Because we're pegging her at about 16 right now, and it's 2001. No, 17 right now. Uh, right. We had her a year or so. So, she okay, 11. She was 11 when she cured HIV back in 95. Because it is 2001 in the novel. Because September 11th just almost happened. Yeah. I suppose it could, it could conceivably be early 2002 as it well. It is. Yes. That's where, that's where I pegged it. 2001, 2002 in there somewhere. Because the newspaper article says that something needs to be, uh, like something will be finished by, by sometime 2003. Yeah. So we know 2003 is the future. Yeah. But not all that far. Well, and we know September 11th just happened. So it's either late 2001 or early 2002. Possibly mid-2002. We're not. I'm not super clear on what time of year it is. He doesn't mention it being super cold. So I'm guessing the weather is fairly nice. But later in the chapter, he will mention Aurora Borealis. And, well, we will discuss that. It doesn't seem out of season for him. So one would presume that it might be spring. Possibly. Or early spring. So maybe it is 2002. Either way, she is somewhere between 10 and 12 years old when she cures HIV. To get back to the original point. I still say that's a little too young. I think uh, she I think she was older. She was toying around with building a, a fusion reactor when she was 10 years old. Yeah. Doesn't mean she cured HIV when she was 10. No, but she did it back in 1995, which was six years ago. And you're pegging her at 17. So she was 11 years old or 12 years old when she cured HIV. Well, unless the, seven, unless the comment about uh, someone taking a picture of a 17-year-old actually happened a little further in the past and she's a little older than we think she is. No, because that just happened recently in Germany. Mm, good point. Yeah. Okay, then never mind. Yeah. So uh, you, the point is she is a child genius. And this yes. is just furthering the fact that she is a child genius who has already changed the world multiple times. <laughs> and continues to do so. Yeah. Uh, apparently she also has a, essentially a Bond villain lair under her house. <laughs> specifically under her home's squash court. Ooh. Ooh. I know. She's got... Well, I don't, I don't want to call them secret labs because I don't think they're secret. But she has like a collection of laboratories. Yeah, where she does different stuff. In, around, and under her house. She's also been a big deal for a number of years. Enough so that very prominent members of the scientific community have been actively trying to poke holes in her theories and expose her as a fraud because how could a 12-year-old child cure HIV? Doesn't seem possible. Right. But she has. Yes. And so far, she has not been exposed as a fraud. She's just really, really good at what she does, which is apparently science. science. Yeah. <laughs> all, I was, all science. I was going to say everything, but then I, I immediately hit the brakes on that because she is explicitly not good at everything. No. As, uh, as will be... It demonstrated in this chapter as well. But she is very, very good at science. She is the Reed Richards of her time. Yes. Uh, in that she has she has a degree in science exclamation point. <laughs> All science is. Yeah. Like just the umbrella term of science. Nick's internal monologue here was interesting to me. Because on the one hand, he has a very glowing opinion of Johnny. And on the other hand, there is more than a little resentment. <laughs> In the way he talks about her uh, achievements. Yes. It's because her achievements are so bright that his life seems extra dull and ordinary and less than. Yeah. Right? Um, but he also admits that 
he can't like he can barely comprehend the idea of a life without Johnny in it. He describes it as the equivalent of cutting out internal organs. Yeah. Well, she's his best friend. Yeah. And to her credit, she has never cut him out. And it would have been very easy for her to do it. Of course. Because she is a rich and famous globetrotting science scientist. <laughs> yes, science scientist. And she's apparently severed ties with a lot of stuff over the years just because she doesn't have time for it. Because she's a globetrotting scientist. <laughs> but she has never cut out Nick. They regularly keep in contact. Again, he mentions this past six months was the longest they'd ever gone yeah. between Well, and speaking. sometimes, exactly, sometimes they go for months without talking to each other, but they always reconnect. And then they just fall right back into the same, like, oh, yeah. comfortable relationship. That you can see been it in the way time. they talk to each other. Yeah. Uh, we also learn here that Nick's manager, Gino, is a total jerk, and Nick should definitely take him up on workplace harassment charges. 100% racist. That yep. was, yeah, it was quick, not so subtle, and horrible. Indeed. We kind of gloss over Nick's work day because we catch back up with him as he gets home. Well, Nick glosses over his work day in that he doesn't talk about it. Yeah. Talks about the beginning of it, and then when it's over. Yeah. And Johnny calls. His sister answers the phone. Carla calls her Auntie Johnny, so there you go. That's so sweet. Johnny wants him to come over because apparently she has invented something new and she requires a witness to her genius because she wants to make sure she's not reading into something, basically, and that this is this is a real thing that has happened. And he's like, all right, fine. I'll give you a call before I head over a little later. Uh, when he's off the phone, Carla asks, are you ever going to marry Johnny? And he retorts you don't marry your friends like that's not how it's done <laughs> when well, she's like yes it is he's like no those are movies yeah movies are not real life and in the back of my mind i went well this is a novel this isn't real life either it's true i also wonder if this plants a seed because he circles back around to this thought later on in the chapter but we'll we'll get there we're a little ahead of ourselves there yeah uh also the cartoon that they're watching is almost certainly biker, biker mice, mice from, from mars. mars yeah I went down a weird YouTube rabbit hole because of that one subtle line about this weird cartoon with muscular mice. And I was like, oh, Biker Mice from Mars, I love that show. I, and I actually had to look it up on YouTube <laughs> and watch an episode, and it is just as terrible as it was when I was a kid. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, it would also have been a rerun in 2001 because the series ran in the early 90s originally. Oh, it had a resurgence in the mid-2000s. Oh, there you go. I found out by accident. Uh, oh no, because this is was, before. This would have been before the resurgence. So this would have been a rerun. Biker Mice from Mars, for those who are unfamiliar, was one of the many Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles clones <laughs> ripoffs that yeah. uh, came out uh, over the years. But yeah, that, that's. I also gathered that was what they were watching. <laughs> I felt I felt all special. I'm like, I got this really subtle nerd reference. Good for me. Nick heads over to Johnny's place later, forgetting to call and not having a cell phone. He's just like, I guess I'm just dropping in. Uh, and as he pulls up, he notices two weird things right off the jump. Number one, all of the lights are on. And not like, not even all the lights are on. Everything is on super bright. Yeah. Full blast. This house is glowing like a horror movie. The second thing is that Rutger's car isn't around, so he still hasn't shown up. And that's odd enough that uh, Nick definitely takes note, because it's been a day and he's still not there. But not weird enough that he brings it up with Johnny again later. But granted, other things take precedence when yeah. he gets inside the house. Which makes me wonder if uh, Johnny's excuse about them having mixed up the uh, their flights their flights was actually a lie. And she purposefully ducked Rutger. Oh, she might have ditched her 
and reminder and came to came to town maybe to kind of get away and and purposefully left him behind maybe it's possible possible johnny is dressed in a sequined dress when nick gets in the house and in a very canadian uh <laughs> thing to do takes off his shoes immediately well, yeah. when entering the house uh apparently that is a thing that is very canadian and you don't really do in the states i don't specifically know about other places around the world necessarily but uh apparently you have inside shoes in the states that's the thing or you just wear your shoes everywhere that seems like a great way to ruin a carpet though you take off your shoes after you've been outside yeah but you Granted, gotta remember we live up here in canada with lots of snow and ice and mud that's true and the further south you go the usually warmer your weather is and you don't have to worry so much about ice and snow and water and mud uh as mentioned johnny is dressed in a sequined dress that is just shining because of all the lights that are on in the house how uh, lights that nick didn't even realize existed at one point he cracks a joke about her finally becoming a real girl and she tells him not to be such a gender essentialist earlier he had mentioned that she had a really boyish haircut in uh the stock photo that they had of her in the globe and mail yeah shorter anyway and she does go by johnny at least to nick and and apparently uh, in one of his reminiscences, they used to fight over who had to play the girl in in the little <laughs> right. imaginary plays they put together. So is Johnny non-binary? I don't know. Gender fluid? Maybe. Hard to say. We don't know for sure. It could be anywhere from just not very girly to tomboy to non-binary to the other end. We I don't know enough about Johnny to make that call. It's still early days, but uh did jump out at me. Hmm. So. Either way, she's a buzz because instead of sleeping last night, as she said she was going to do, she put on this dress and was inspired by the sequins and invented a new reactor. <laughs> as you do. She, okay, poor Johnny. Her mind is going a thousand miles an hour. Right? It doesn't she help is... that she's been imbibing nothing but coffee for days. Apparently. Well, exactly. She, her brain is moving so fast and so hard that all she does is just like vomit science onto Nick as she tries to explain what she's done. She clearly didn't take time to change, ran right down to the lab in her sequin dress and her steel-toed boots, mm -hmm. and started sciencing. She is, she's actually in really rough shape. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she's not in a good way when he gets there. No. But uh, the reason the lights are all on is because to test her reactor, she wired it into the house's power. Yes. And it's apparently just charged everything up. The Which, only downsides being that uh, the lights are generating a tremendous amount of heat and something smells. Yeah. But she just assumes it's bugs being zapped by all the halogens. Could be. They head into the Hadrian Research Room. Uh, interesting name for the research room. Uh, I note later on that Nick mentions that she had an interest in Roman history. Mm -hmm. So probably why she named it after a Roman thing. <laughs> Yes. Apparently she has cobbled together a cold fusion reactor out of her microwave, one of her science awards, a magnet, and a bottle of lemon perrier. Actually, I think the lemon perrier was just present. No, it's uh, actively being used as a catalyst. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, okay. I misread that part then. Because he's possibly, drinking one of them. Well, yeah, because there were a couple more left over from the six pack she had cracked open. Yeah. As impressive as this is, Nick's first worry is that it will, quote, cook his sperms. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and she just advises him not to put his junk in it, basically. <laughs> but otherwise, she's pretty sure that the casing that she's put the uh, reactor in will sufficiently shield them from harm. I hope so. Indeed. Except it doesn't really. Oh, well, kind of. The main issue is the sound. And Nick 
is very tuned into it. He could hear it when he came into the house. Right. It's that uncomfortable hum. Yeah. He he likens it to chewing tinfoil. Yeah. Like it's it's a sound that you can just feel rattling in your teeth. Right. Nails on a chalkboard kind of eh, yeah. sound. Johnny admits that it's uh, a thing and she's not entirely certain what it is or where it's coming from. She suspects that it might be resonance from the fact that it's sitting on the metal table or it could be due to impurities in the science award she melted down for it <laughs> but she's not 100 percent sure and i mean this is a prototype granted yes. a prototype that uh according to her not only works but could potentially create limitless energy which is crazy pants yeah she goes through a lengthy spiel kind of describing the the science exclamation point behind her invention and <laughs> nick can't even pretend to keep up. Like, it's just flying right over his head oh, the whole yeah. time. Um, and He's it, not nearly as science as she is, so... No, and by his own admission. Mm -hmm. Like, this is this is not his wheelhouse. Um, and it's around this juncture that he also blacks out. Uh, he's not certain if it's from the intense heat. Uh, or something in the room. Or the magnitude of the concept of... Cold fusion? Cold fusion. <laughs> yeah, like... She's cobbled together a limitless energy source while looking at herself wearing a sequin dress in a mirror. Like, and it's the thing that will probably change the world forever. And he's just, like, overwhelmed by it. Oh, yeah. It needs to, like, reset. <laughs> <laughs> it could be any of those things. But the point is, Nick passes out. Yeah, only for a couple seconds. He's no, down yeah. for, like, 20 seconds. Something, something like that. Yeah, not very long. Um, when he comes to, Johnny helps him out of the Hadrian room. So it's as though it's a room in a hotel, the Hadrian room. <laughs> yes, the Hadrian room. It probably has uh, an attractive plaque on the door. Yeah, they head up to the kitchen. Uh, Johnny turns off some of the lights and opens up the windows to get a breeze going. They gulp down a whole bunch of ice water just to get rehydrated. Yeah, because now they're both like gross and sweaty. Um, on the way to the kitchen, actually, uh, Nick mentions that like it's still really bright and he his head is still swimming, but it, he feels like he can almost see like shadowy figures in his peripheral vision mm -hmm. which is probably a trick of the light but i had the same feeling it's like uh, yes they're playing with the fact that he's passed out and his head's all foggy but this is this is foreshadowing and premonition and dark sight if ever i've heard it and i say that only because i've read the blurb on the back of the book and i know that dark things are out there indeed johnny also finally hits the wall here uh, after saying like, oh, I, I need to start writing up papers right now and I need to get patents together so that I can, uh, get this, uh, all locked down. And then she finally kind of hits the wall and her body just like breaks down. Yeah. Her body goes, okay, enough. Stop. Nick offers to cook her something and she obviously is uh, cognizant enough of her own limits to finally agree to eat and actually sleep. Right. Okay, so now that the exciting part is over, she showed him her fantastic invention. Yeah. They both need to stop, both mm -hmm. of them, mm -hmm. need to stop and behave like people for a little bit. Indeed. Right? Eat, sleep, bathe, hydrate, all of those good things that you have to do to look after your body they both need to do these things now. It's also a very grown-up moment between them. Enough that Nick gets a little introspective about it. Wondering, when did we stop acting like kids with each other? Like, he can't actually pinpoint the exact time when they just mutually agreed, like, wordlessly, that they were both going to treat each other like adults and stop hanging out like kids do. 
and like playing in the backyard and whatnot. And he also wonders, and this is where we circle back to Carla's, when are you going to marry her comment? He wonders if he would even recognize if he was falling in love with her because he doesn't know what that would be like. Right. Well, because she's such a big part of his life, even if she leaves it for months at a time. Right. They still have this strong connection and clearly a lot of affection for each other, mm -hmm. even if it's not romantic love. They have a lot of platonic love. You yes. can tell. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like it may or may not turn romantic. I don't know. Well, that's why I say, like, I don't get the idea that this is something Nick regularly thinks of. I think it's specifically because Carla brought it up earlier. And so it's just kind of in mm -hmm. the back of his mind at this moment. Seed was planted, right? Yeah. After feeding her, Nick heads home and sees some Aurora as he parks back at the house. And it, it sets him reminiscing. And this confirms that dad is out of the picture. Yes. What we speculated last chapter. His parents, dad's not dead. No. They are divorced. Right. Apparently, Johnny's parents are divorced, too. The divorces happened within a year of one another and sent them both kind of reeling. But Johnny's parents splitting up was less of a thing. It was just, it was a rich people separation as opposed to this long, drawn-out drama that Nick was stuck in the middle of. Yeah. Just another contrast between their two lifestyles to him. I know. His dad apparently does live in Toronto now, which confirms we are not in Toronto. Nope. And a reference to his dad doing Aurora chasing with the University of Alberta strongly suggests we're in Edmonton. Right? Yeah. Stronger and stronger pointing that this has taken place here in Mahome City. Because the University of Alberta is, of course, in Edmonton. Yes. So, um, And the Auroras are not right. Eh. And Nick is vaguely aware of it, but not... Not it's so much not... that he can put his finger on it and be like, yeah. hey, something's wrong. But... There are some unusual colors in the Aurora. Enough that he's, again, aware that something's off and he stays and watches, but not enough that he's consciously aware of it. Like, he never explicitly says, oh, this looks weird in no. his internal monologue, but he's picking up on the fact there's, like, purples and silvers in the Aurora that probably shouldn't be there. Mm -hmm. And, like, a weird streak Yeah, going through. But he does sit and reminisce and watch the Auroras for around an hour. Which wraps up chapter two of our yeah. novel. Which is interesting because it doesn't lead into anything. Like, I have no idea what our next chapter is going to start like. Probably the next day. Possibly. Or that night when everything goes wrong. Who knows? Yeah. Things I mean, might not go wrong immediately. Things are probably going to go wrong well, immediately. Well, I suppose that depends on how quickly Premi Mohammed wants us to get into the meat of the plot. Like, is this a slow burn horror or is this a, oh, everything's gone wrong. Here we go. <laughs> uh, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. My... My instinct is that it will not be a slow burn. <laughs> uh, when you're dealing with science exclamation point, when things go wrong, they tend to go wrong spectacularly. And so my expectation would be that next chapter, something's going to go spectacularly wrong and we're going to be off to the races. Yeah. That this is the peak of the roller coaster drop, right? This is as normal as things are going to be before things get yeah, abnormal. Before things go horribly, horribly wrong. But I could be wrong. I don't know because I have not read that chapter. So I, I honestly don't know. That's just my my expectation when it comes to mad science is that things go explosively bad all <laughs> at once. So Well, we shall see. Indeed. Overall, good chapter. I like our characters. I like them a lot. I'm I'm excited to continue in this book. I'm and, and to see how their relationship evolves and how the two of them uh, presumably reflect on that relationship under stress. And possibly save the world. Also under stress. Yeah. We'll see. Now, I, re I recognize this is only chapter two, 
And this is the first time we've done a horror novel since uh, back in our first novel, Meddling Kids by Edgar Cantero. But do you want to take a quick moment and crack open the lid of the Lovecraft box? It is never too soon to open the Lovecraft box. So I've blown the dust off and uh, cracked open the lid and allowed some of the eldritch entities inside to breathe for the first time in years. And uh, I'm going to tell you about something in this chapter that reminded me of something from a Lovecraft story. Um, and it was when Nick uh, was being taken, and this is the reason I kind of lingered on it, when Nick was being taken up to the kitchen and felt like he could almost kind of see things in his periphery, in the light, in the presence of the reactor. And it reminded me of the Lovecraft story From Beyond, in which uh, Professor Tillinghast, the antagonist in the story, creates a device, the, the Tillinghast resonator or whatever, and it allows the people in the immediate vicinity of the device to perceive an alternate universe. Oh. Uh, a layer of reality or another dimension that coexists with ours, that is coterminous with ours, but that is imperceivable. Only in the kind of the aura of this generator can you kind of see the entities that exist in this other plane. And unfortunately, can they perceive you at the same time? And when it's shut off, that perception ends and potentially the ability to interact a little bit right. as, as from beyond will demonstrate and so uh johnny's creation of this because we are genre aware enough to know that we're in a horror story because we picked a horror story yes from the horror section of the bookstore correct johnny's fusion reactor and the strange resonance that it's giving off and the fact that he could perceive shadowy entities and again it might have been a trick of the light it could have just been because he was in a weird headspace because of everything that was going on but the fact that he could kind of perceive shadowy entities in his peripheral vision strongly reminded me of From Beyond in that moment. Mm. And so I'm wondering if perhaps that might be an inspiration for this novel. Perhaps. Or part of the inspiration for this novel. Or even just this scene, maybe? Indeed. Who Cause, knows? Because we know we're descending into horror. Mm -hmm. And uh, we know that there's going to be Lovecraftian influences in this, based on the blurb on the back. Yes. So thought I would bring it up. Now is a good time to mention it, because it's the first time that I've seen something like that in the novel <laughs> and uh, my role in the horror novel as always is just to bring up the lovecraft references because problematic as he may be he is the granddaddy of most modern horror so um he his influences run deep it's true so there you go hmm. dipping our toes into the into the lovecraft pool well who knows how many more times this novel will be cracking open that box but uh, probably a bunch but we'll see little uh little reference that i picked up there hopefully i'm not reading into it eh, even if you are we, we are known for our wild and irresponsible speculations over here indeed but uh perhaps some of those speculations will prove to be correct as we move into chapter three of our novel you'll want to read up on that in time for next week in the meantime uh we don't have johnny's incredible wealth we are but a poor podcast. <laughs> and uh, so we do rely, of course, on the support of the Alberta Podcast Network to keep us chugging along. And uh, they, in turn, rely on the support of our sponsors. One such sponsor, uh, ATB Financial, has been along for the ride practically since jump. And uh, we're, in fact, title sponsor for the Podcast Network uh, until just recently. But uh, even though that relationship has changed, they are still fully supporting the Alberta Podcast Network. And we would like to tell you a little bit about them. 
Looking for a way to give back? ATB Cares makes it easy for all Albertans to support the causes they care about. Donate to your favorite charity through ATB Cares, and ATB will match 20% of every dollar donated to eligible Albertan charities. To learn more and donate, visit atbcares.com. ATB Cares. I like that. I like like the charity matching idea. It's awesome. Yeah. It's a good way to uh, support the community and uh, get a little help in that support. Nice. You can show your further support to the Alberta Podcast Network by going and checking out other member podcasts. Uh, you can find a full listing right now at albertapodcastnetwork.com. All bazillion of them. That is a gross overstatement, but there are many of them. <laughs> and uh, you'll definitely find something else there that you enjoy. When you do find such a thing, you can then find it likely on the podcatcher of your choice. It's true. While you're there, give us a little uh, rating and a review. We'd appreciate it. We would like to show you that appreciation on social media. (laughs) Smooth. I like it. Uh, Standard social media platforms available to you that we use. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Goodreads. Not so standard, but we use it. Yeah. Uh, Not a lot of activity there still. That's all right. But uh, we are there. We like, I like giving people options. Do, do what you like. Yeah. Go, go with what you like. You can also reach us via email. We are thereadalong at gmail.com. And with that said, as always, we love you very much and we'll see you next time. More science. Thank you for joining us on The Read Along with your hosts Anita and Scott Bourgeois, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. All Read Along music is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Cover art is by Aaron Beaver. Be sure to join us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Read Along and check out our group on Goodreads.com.